Green Crow Inn, a novel by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kelman Friedman. Chapter 13. It Happened in the Kitchen. Gilly the Brewer proved a much more patient and reliable teacher than Pram, and her house was a treasure, a taste of civilization here in the middle of nowhere. But that would be later, several days after my discussion with Sumi Kind. That morning I saw to my usual duties. They went well and quickly, and I reported my success to the innkeeper, who sat stoically at her desk in the office. My report indulged in what was probably far too much detail concerning horses and their feeding, the making of beds, and deliveries of morning tea. I also took the liberty of sharing how the little keg of practice beer seemed to show no signs of fermentation. Some juniper berries had been brought along to illustrate my concern, and I held them in my hand. Kalka nodded absently, her wrists flicked in a practiced way as she wrote something in the ledger. The deft hand movements drew my attention to her sword, which hung on the wall behind her, its mere presence like a declaration of hostilities. "'Off you go,' she said, without looking up. I stopped staring at the juniper and squinted at nothing, then wondered aloud, "'Off I go?' Had I heard her correctly? After all, I was giving a larger piece of my attention to the Junipers than my employer, since Kalka and her office setting were a bit every day, and therefore less interesting. Off to Gilly's house. She lives right on the main square. I get... I clipped my own sentence. I get to go to Gilly's house. Kalka cleared her throat and crossed her arms, assuming the customary position. Her eyes met mine. Yes. When we spoke the other day, she expressed some concern about the use of our kitchen and matters of space, and it's hard to move her equipment, apparently. I nodded, quite a few times, and grinned stupidly. Okay, no problem. When shall I be back? I don't know, Torson. When you are done? I nodded some more and back towards the door, thinking of my coat and aught else I might need for the walk. Not a problem. No worries. Got my junipers all ready. I held the fistful of berries aloft to prove my point. And we'll make you proud. Bye, then, she said. My face lit up, and I dashed out of the office door. Then I came back in. The main square, is that Fernbrink Road, or... Calco wagged her head, as if she'd never considered the existence of street names before. I remembered I was not in the capitals. Intersections were of less import here. Right, I'll find it. I dashed off, and then spun around again. I may need some, um, you know, cash... For materials. Kalka was fixated on the ledger again. It's paid for. Off you go. The path to the Green Crow Inn was indeed more a path than a proper road, as I had heard at least three times from concerned guests with shaky carriages, and it wound this way and that for a short while before turning hard to the left and joining with the main thoroughfare of Nawari. The little town simply appeared as you traveled along this thoroughfare. First there was no town, then you were in the town. No palisades, no slow trickle of buildings, just a belt of trees, and then Noari, town of a few hundred souls, and one inn. The walk afforded my thoughts some time to wander. The morning chores had not given me occasion to see Sumi kind, but I found I did not feel any concern. Some embarrassment still lingered in my chest, certainly, but that feeling was self-employed. I expected no more word about our awkward exchange from Sumi, who, again, lived up to her name. Her kindness and understanding was a marvel, and apparently well-earned through the long life of the dwarves. By the time the embarrassment simmered down to a dull discomfort, I had reached the central square of town. Were I to name one offering Nawari had above other shulk towns and places I'd visited, 
though those places were low in number, it was a tidy layout. Whoever had planned it, or if it had happened of its own accord, made sure that Nawari was a few blocks of cobble and dirt streets lined with all measure of flora surrounding a small central square. This square contained what they called a garden, but the sparse hedges and flowers were disused and only barely maintained. Spiraling out from it was an even distribution of houses all styled in variations of the same theme. From the ground came stilts up to a stone foundation, then there were slats of wood painted or stained various shades of purple. Set within the slats were windows of varying shape, each cased in a different type of wood. Finally came the top, made of either dark shale or thatch. The homes were positively charming, if a bit run down. Gilly's, however, was the standout, as if it wished to rebel against the style as much as possible without fully overthrowing it. Had I wished to, I could not have missed it, for Gilly's house, as I said, was a treasure. It bore the same essentials, but alongside all the purple slats were metal trinkets dangling from the eaves or affixed to the wood itself. Wind chimes, sconces, statuettes, prayer wheels, and sundry. It may sound a mess, but the items were so arrayed that they looked more sculpture than decor. A beetle fastened to the door served as a knocker, which I approached feeling degrees of excitement and fear. The door opened before I could knock, and Gilly welcomed me in. She was a dark and older woman of obviously mixed heritage and exceptionally long gray hair that nearly touched the floor. It was held back by a stamped leather headband. Besides this, all she wore were trousers and a finely embroidered maroon tunic. A mug was in her hand. Tawson, Gilly's voice cracked with age and perhaps fatigue. Do come in. I muttered my thanks and stepped inside to what looked more like a museum than a home. The comfortable sitting area was marked by a patterned mat, encircled by armchairs, a settee, and an unlit hearth. It was bog-standard design, but this was where the normalcy ended, as the rest of her home was a dispersion of art and knick-knacks. Full paintings rested on easels alongside gaudy ceramic dogs or dwarves wearing pointed red caps. Without belaboring the point by describing her home to a T, let us say that the entirety of it was arranged with style, a keen eye, and a hint of chaos. I could see the entrance to her generous kitchen on the far side of the room. Why don't we get right to it? She said, and I followed her, barely dodging her collection as I went. But I stopped suddenly, for my feet could carry me no further. I stared at a painting, a black outline of a mountainous Gindi landscape. Is that an original Hosma? I blurted. Gilly sipped whatever was in her mug calmly and nodded. Yes, Luella found it for me. Do you like it? I do. This is quite a find. The old woman shrugged and proceeded to the kitchen. This was a much more organized space than the rest of her home, with ingredients stacked here and there systematically. The arrangement reminded me of Furrier. A massive pot was set on the countertop along with kegs and spoons and many other tools I did not recognize. Clearly, this was a professional situation. When did you learn to brew? I asked. Soon as I was old enough. Gilly lifted her mug and winked. Is that, um, some of what we'll be doing? Indeed. Would you like some? I considered the time of day and the lingering echo of shame from the embarrassing conversation I'd had with Sumi, but only for a split second. Please, I said. A little while later, I had Gilly cackling as we supped. If only Pram had offered some of her own make, then her lessons would have gone much more smoothly. She laughed again and said, Oh, Pram is all right. She's just a yokel. I gasped and my face snapped into an exaggerated state of disbelief. Then I laughed and took another sip. 
Gilly's brown ale was exceptionally light and crisp, but satisfying and hoppy. My own concoction burbled on the stovetop. The juniper branch stuck out of the pot like a waving arm. Its scent, provided by leaves, berries, twig, and all, mingled with that of the wort. "'Now, now,' said Gilly. "'Now, now, I mean that with respect. I'm sure you know how some of these farmers and Schultowners are. It's an odd combination of pride and folksy wisdom, so when she knows something, she lets you know she knows, you know?' I guffawed merrily at her wordplay, and kept on laughing, nodding my head in agreement. "'Not that I'm so much better,' she continued. "'Been out here in the sticks much of my life, but I travel, you see, selling art, selling beer, hawking, and so on.' "'You should have been one of those traders,' I said. "'I was,' and she winked again. My eyes went wide once more, this time without exaggeration, and I raised my mug. "'Truly a woman of the world.' Well, she shrugged humbly and clacked her mug against mine. If only my employer kept such a world-wise point of view, I muttered into the drink. Well, Gilly repeated, Kalka's all right. She's been through much. I set my mug down on the countertop. Has she? Gilly smiled. I reckon that's not for me to say. I wish she'd say she seems aggravated with me half the time and only just tolerant the other half. "'You're here, aren't you, rather than back there working?' "'True.' My teacher took one more sip and clapped her hands. "'Suppose we ought to pay attention to your brew, then?' The cooling and pitching process went smoothly, if blearily. The end result was a large keg full of what smelled like a good lager. Gilly fetched a ladle hanging from the wall. A turn of her wrist saw the failing sunshine reflect off its cup. "'I'd better get back,' I slurred. First, Gilly lifted a finger, we taste. My features rose impishly in mock surprise, and Gilly scooped a small amount of the young beer. She slurped it noisily and nodded her approval before passing the ladle to me. The taste of days old, flat, thick mash flooded my mouth, and I nearly coughed, slowly realizing that this was the first time I'd tasted such unfinished stuff before. When I regained my composure, the crisp flavor of hopped beer and a hint of juniper was left on my tongue, foretelling great things. Just might pull this off, I said. Cheers, Gilly winked. I returned to the Green Crow without the beer in question. The twinge in my back would remind me for days to come of the mistake I'd made in attempting to lift the thing. Thankfully, Gilly stopped me before I could tip the heavy keg and spill our hard work all over her lovely kitchen. I blamed our sampling for my carelessness. The inn was as quiet as the walk home had been. Most Noari folk had been retiring for the day, preparing their evening meals or helping their children with schoolwork. I circled the crow and stumbled through the back door. Kalka was in the kitchen kneading dough. Certainly she heard me before she saw me, and as soon as I entered she asked, Where's your beer? I put a hand to my lower back. It's, um... A finger pointed somewhere, though definitely not towards Gilly's house. Furrier will have to go and get it, or I'll need, you know. Kalka cocked her head. You know, a cart, I finished. You seem the worst for a drink. Me? No, 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 no. Now she raised her eyebrows, but I would not let that stop an attempt to convince her of my sobriety. No, no, no. Uh, have, have you tried Gilly's homebrew? Yes. It's very good. After a pause, Kalka offered me some tea. 
Looks to be a slow evening, and I could use the help, since you're obviously clear-headed and ready to work. I made a scoffing sound. Absolutely. The name of the tea I cannot recall, but it was strong and good. Black tea with some sort of citrus to it. Its strength removed the edge from my befuddlement, and momentarily I was alongside Kalka, shaping dough, chopping vegetables, I only nearly lost a finger once, fetching ingredients, and generally doing whatever needed doing. Wherever Furrier and Sumi kind were, they did not disturb us. Working with the innkeeper here in the kitchen was comfortable. Contrasted against my time with Gilly, it felt more... homelike. At Gilly's side, I was reminded of the capitals and of the need to match both wits and experience with my peers. It was fun, but not entirely calm. With Kalka, either because of my time spent here, or my familiarity with the inn, or my muddled wits, I was quite comfortable. And so was she, apparently, and we fell into a more amicable conversation than we'd ever had before. Of course I did very little cooking, I was saying. My mother cooked, but oftentimes we hired a chef or enjoyed some of the eateries in our neighborhood. Sounds luxurious, said Kalka. I stopped slicing cabbage and considered what she'd said earnestly. You know, it truly was. I'd never thought much of it before. It was simply what we did. Getting out into the world can change one's point of view, she stated. Has such venture into the world changed you? Kalka laughed. What world? I've been here in Nawari almost my whole life. I saw my opening. Almost? She stopped spreading dough into the pie mold thoughtfully, as if considering how much she was willing to share with me. A few treks here and there, she resumed shaping the pastry. Shatan and I would, well... We all know she's an adventurous sort. Kalka nodded and smiled fondly. That's true. The calculations seemed to work themselves out in my mind as we spoke, figuring out what to say and how much to say to keep her talking. My own journey here from Callahane was not so adventurous. I just paid off some traders to take me along. Kept to the roads, mostly. Tila Hill is truly something. But the only interesting town I can remember was called Damesworthy? Damesworthy? She barked a laugh. That's where my father was from. You don't say... Yes, he came here, found my mum, the daughter of an innkeeper, and settled right down in Nawari. Swapped one small village for another, I dare say. And you, an innkeeper like your parents before you? Kalka sighed. No, that was my grandmother, my Dedima. She loved this silly place. My parents, my mother really, sold it the day after she died. Is that true? Yes, she said. They put her in the ground, and the very next day they sold the green crow to a dwarf, some random lordling with a fancy for rustic life above ground. I loved my grandmother. I simply could not believe they would dishonor her in that way. By selling it to a dwarf? No, it was not about Yerni. They could have sold it to anyone, and it would still have felt like betrayal. Kalka lifted her eyes from her now-finished pie and looked at me seriously. So I bought it back. The very day my mother died. I smiled in a poor attempt to diffuse the rising tension. Bought the inn without a partner to help with the work? Kalka looked away. No. No spouse. No. I'm sure Shatan loved that. What? I stuttered as her voice turned hard again. Y you know, you are such good friends, and I'm sure this... I gestured at our surroundings. 
all this work, you know, kept you away from her. Whatever you all did together. Calca slid the pie to the side and pressed her palms against the kitchen island. I flushed. The sound of Sumi kind speaking with customers in the common room drew my attention. Perhaps I should... This is the second time, Calca started slowly. You mention her. What are you getting at? I'm growing tired of your hints and your sophomoric gossiping. No, nothing. I raised my hands plaintively. It's simply obvious to me that you and her have... a connection. Right, she said with more volume. The connection of old dear friends. I scoffed. As you say, Elgad too, no doubt. Just friends, really. She pointed at me. Torson, I am warning you for the last time. Old friends, I muttered and saw Furrier enter the room from the stairwell. You speak of what you do not know. She shouted the last word. Furrier grimaced, spun on his heel, and went back upstairs. My eyes darted here and there, as if in thought, but the words spilled out before I could stop them. A blind man would know there's something afoot the way you carry on with those two. I just wonder how much. I winced. Little boy, she seethed, get out of my kitchen. And so I did. My mind burned with strain, so much so that I could hardly focus on Sumi asking how I was doing and could I please take two pints to the porch. I followed orders, but did not come back to myself until the crisp winter air nearly took the breath out of me. The warmth of the common room was sucked away, and I realized I was depositing a tray of mugs on a table occupied by two locals I did not recognize. They muttered their thanks. I took a deep breath and lingered outside, barely noticing the lawn and the trees and the evening's first twinkling stars. Settled, I tucked the tray under my arm and went back inside. Why had I carried on that way with Kalka? I was right, of course. There was something between her and Shatan, and probably Elgad. But I ought to have known she would react badly. I pressed too hard. Then, a fresh wave of stress blasted me as another thought came to mind. Was this it? Would she finally be rid of me? The cheerful feel of the common room did not dispel my gloom. The hearth, little candles, and the chatter of conversation from the few patrons were all as they should be, but I could not enter into the merriment. From behind the bar, Sumi looked at me concernedly, and my heart leapt, and I wished again for her comfort, for comfort from someone, and perhaps, detecting my thoughts, her face lit up. Her lovely smile was a ray of sunshine, until I realized it was not for me. It passed over and through me towards the door. The grand front doors of the green crow clicked shut, and I turned. Entering was a man in a heavy black cloak. He was roughly my height, but of greater girth, and as he slowly pulled back his winter hood, a mop of curly hair showed itself along with a patchy, shaggy beard. Gilrad! shouted Sumi, and a few others lifted their mugs in greeting. The newcomer smiled, his full cheeks raising like hillsides. Sumi approached me and declared, Your predecessor! Then she trotted over to Gilrad and hugged him round his middle. My predecessor, I thought and my replacement. This has been The Green Crow Inn by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kalman Friedman, with music by Michael Elliott. To find out more, including how to purchase your copy of the novel, please visit shorelessskies.com.